morning, church. Kid Nation. Hey! <laughs> Good morning, Sarah. <laughs> Kid Nation heads outside. Uh, my clicker isn't working. Can you um, make sure that that's... I don't know what's wrong with it. Have you ever been in a situation where you got through it and the thought occurred to you, oh, that was a lot more dangerous than I thought it was? Um, I can think of a time where uh, we had acquired some, oops, that's the wrong button. We had acquired some uh, bottle rockets. And we also, this was also the time where we had just kind of gotten our driver's license and me and my buddy were like, oh, it would be so cool. He had this extra shower curtain rod and thought it'd be so neat to like throw the bottle rockets down the shower curtain rod and then we can use it like a gun, like it'll shoot out the end of this thing and like that would be super awesome. Um, and so he's like, oh, I got an idea. Let's, let's drive down, and the, our road kind of goes by this pond, so like, let's make sure that nobody gets hurt. We'll drive by the water on the road and shoot the bottle rockets out of the car and in, across the pond so we can see what happens. So that seems like a good idea, right? So we go and we do it, but the, uh, the thing that we hadn't considered is that this shower curtain was one of those collapsible ones, and it had a strip down the whole length of it that wasn't sealed. There was a gap there. And so when you shot, when they put the, lit the bottle rocket and put it down the tube, everything was fine. You could hold on to it, it was great. But as soon as that bottle rocket shot off, it burned whatever was holding on to the outside of that tube. And so we shot the first one off as we're driving and my friend starts screaming, ah, my hands, my hands! And he's flinging this stick around a moving car next to an open body of water. And I thought, you know what? Maybe this wasn't a good idea. Maybe it was a little bit more dangerous than we thought. Um, it can sometimes be like those, those ideas or those stories from when you're a teenager, I'm sure everybody has ones that are worse than that. Like I was a pretty chill kid. Um, but those can be pretty simple. But have you ever been in a situation as a grown-up where you get through something and you go, oh, I was, I was in a lot of danger right there, and I didn't know it. And man, I'm super glad that I made it through this and that I don't have a terrible story to tell about what just happened. Uh, maybe something comes to mind for you in particular. This morning, um, our text is a little bit difficult for us because by and large, it answers a question we don't ask because we don't perceive what's going on. It addresses a need that we have that we don't know that we have, a danger that is close to us that we are unaware of. And so as we open up to Luke chapter 11, um, we're going to be confronted with something that maybe we're uncomfortable with as we begin to talk about it, um, but it is something that we need to consider. Jesus wouldn't tell us uh, about things or, or exercise his authority over things if it weren't important. Um, but it's a danger that's closer than maybe we're aware of. So if you're willing to take that journey with me, I just invite you to pray together with me as we begin. Um, and Max, will you put that up on the screen for us? Should be the second slide. Let's pray together. <laughs> Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let's open together to uh, Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. If you're using the blue Bibles that we've got here in the auditorium, it's on page 1085. Page 1085, it's Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to begin in verse 14. And I'll read about half of that paragraph before we pause and, and have a little bit of a conversation. Luke 11, verse 14. Now when he was casting out a demon that was mute, or now he was casting out a demon that was mute, and when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So let me pause here. The scene is uh, one that's not going to be familiar for most of us in, in, a, modern, in a modern time. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy who has a demon, and the demon makes it so that he can't speak. He's mute. And Jesus comes up and was casting out this demon. And after Jesus casts out the demon, the guy can talk. Like That's the long and short of the situation. Um, if you give us the picture, just to give an illustration. Um, the long and short of it is this guy who can't speak, and Jesus does battle with the demon that's oppressing him, and the guy's freed. Why do I say that he does battle? Well, because people are like, well, he casts demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So, so he actually is doing, uh, he's actually doing things by the power of demons to cast out the demons. <clears throat> and others kept seeking a sign from him. So they're like, okay, look, we get it. Like, you cast out this demon. There's this thing that's going on. Prove it. Like, prove that you are who you say you are. We need more proof. We need more evidence. We need more fantastic things from you. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. Does that, does that sound familiar? Have you heard that somewhere before? Did you know that Jesus said that before Abraham Lincoln did? And what was the context that Abraham Lincoln uh, used this quote from Jesus? Do you remember? I know you do. <laughs> what was it, Josh? What was it? <laughs> it was in the context of the Civil War. In the context of the Civil War, so of the, the bloodiest war that America has ever fought on its, on its own soil, like hostile, like brother against brother, anger and rage, and, and Abraham Lincoln uses this quote from Jesus, every kingdom divided itself is laid waste. So that's why I think the interaction with this demon 
was probably a little bit elongated more than Luke gives us details. I don't know what's going on, but Jesus says, do you just see that battle? Like, this wasn't just me like, hey, buddy, like, let's get out of here. You need to go somewhere else. Like, you're causing too much of a ruckus. Like, no, whatever the confrontation was, it was such that Jesus could sit back and say, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. You, there's no way you can look at what's happening and interpret it as anything other than absolute blood, sweat, and tears war. And if that's the case, if I'm doing war here against these demons then I have to be on the opposite team, right? <laughs> Every kingdom divided against itself uh, falls. If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? If I am hurting the demon, if I am putting the demon back, how is that a benefit to my team if I'm on that team? It's not. <laughs> and by the way, if I cast out demons by the, by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons, like, don't your boys also cast out demons? Like, How are they doing that? I thought, I thought if you do war against demons, you're on the opposite side. So what's going on with your boys here? <clears throat> it's interesting. There are some people in the crowd who see this as fake news. Like, oh, this is some kind of trick. Jesus is actually on their side, but he's, act, but he's making it look like he's doing battle, but he's not actually doing battle. This is, this is fake news. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't be, you can't be confused by this. This is actual war. I'm obviously on the opposite side. I'm obviously opposing the forces of evil. And there's some people who say, well, okay, well, yeah, it's, it's real, but it's kind of staged. You're like working on the same, on the same side. He said, well, what about your boys? Your boys are doing the same thing. Like, are they also working for the prince of demons? And if they're working for the prince of demons and they're your sons, what does that say about you? I said, okay, well, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's incomplete. Maybe, maybe this is just like a setback for this guy. He's not actually free, but we heard him, or rather we didn't hear him when he was mute. He couldn't talk, and now he's talking. Like, the proof is kind of in the pudding. This, this has happened. So, here's, here's, here's what I wonder. These, these guys that are opposing Jesus and are, and are trying to give credit to Satan for the miracles that Jesus are doing, I wonder if they might be spiritually nearsighted. They're, they're so focused on their own system, they're so focused on how they understand the world, that when something comes in that doesn't quite fit, doesn't quite gel with how they think things should work, they immediately assume it's evil and can't be trusted and ought to be fought against. They see Jesus, the Prince of Life, coming in and doing battle against the forces of darkness and death, and they go, something's not right here. Like, we need to oppose this. This is, this is messing with the status quo. And I think they might be spiritually nearsighted. Nearsighted uh, is actually something that, that I have. I, can't, I can see things, I can read things real close. Um, without my contacts in, but as soon as I take my contacts out, everything outside of like this far is completely blurry and I can't see it. Um, I'm, I am nearsighted. I can only see things that are real, real close to me, but I can't see things that are far away. And I think the people here are spiritually nearsighted. They, they, they have only seen things the way that they affect them personally, 
They have categories that they stick people in, like, oh, that's a demon-possessed guy. There's no hope for him. He must have some kind of sin in his life. He's never going to get better. And when something goes against their categories, they go, this is evil. We've got to go to that. But making that observation, I wonder if perhaps you and I could be spiritually nearsighted. Could we be spiritually nearsighted? And, and, and what, what would that look like? And, and that was kind of a challenge to wrestle with this week. What would it look like? How would I describe somebody who's spiritually nearsighted? Um, maybe, maybe if we're spiritually nearsighted, we are unable to connect with others when they're expressing grief. We see our neighbor who's expressing sorrow and, and, and hurt and anger, and, and we, we hear all of these stories and go, huh, Flip the channel. Keep scrolling. Maybe if we're spiritually nearsighted, we cannot, we cannot connect with other people in their grief. Maybe we can't connect with people in their joy. When we see something good happening in another person's life, we're like, man, like, great for them. Like, I still got to, you know, blah, blah, blah. We, we have a problem weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice because we're so focused on how things affect me. And we might be dismissive. I think that's what's going on here, where these people are really not only being dismissive, but they're being antagonistic towards Jesus, something that they didn't quite understand. They're just dismissive of. Like, this doesn't quite make sense to me, so it must be wrong. This doesn't quite fit into my categories of understanding, and so it doesn't deserve my time to consider it. This comes from somebody that I don't like, so it must be fake news. Could we be spiritually nearsighted? Read with me in verse 20, Luke 11, verse 20. We'll continue and see how this shakes out. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than him or, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings, it, brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So having had this interaction with these folks, having been accused of working for uh, Satan, Jesus says, look, if the finger of God, if, if it's by the finger of God that I do these things, then you need to understand that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Come upon you. Do you remember, it's, it's now been two weeks, Jesus' disciples are sent out with a message. What is, what is the message that he sends them out to proclaim? The kingdom of heaven is near you. The kingdom of heaven is near you. Be aware, the kingdom of heaven is near you. And he says, look, if, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This isn't just near you. This is upon you. You are in the middle of the battle. See, I cast out this demon, 
But that wasn't the end of the conflict, right? The thing that they can see, the mute guy, sets the stage for the, other, for the actual conflict that's raging right now. <laughs> they are still wrestling in their hearts about how they're going to interpret this. The, the issue isn't even the casting out of demons. It's how the people respond to Jesus' casting out of the demons. What are they going to do with him? This is the question of our lives that each of us must answer. What do we do with Jesus? Whether you're a skeptical person, whether you're somebody who's of faith, whether you're somebody who wants nothing to do with religion, the question must be answered with your life. What will you do with Jesus? And he says, look, the, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The battle is raging now in your hearts. He says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. When a dude's got all his guns and he's sitting at home and he's sitting in the recliner with a shotgun loaded, no problem. Everything's going to be fine. But when someone stronger than him comes in and overpowers him and takes all his weapons and takes all his armor, then his house is going to get empty. And Jesus says, look, I just showed up to Satan's house and I took all his stuff. I got his guns. The kingdom of God has come upon him, and he's walking out empty. In fact, he's not even walking out. He's just chained up. It's done. I won this conflict, hands down. It's over. Whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And for all of the gray areas that we live with, all the tension that we live with in life, Jesus says, it's black and white. You cannot be in the kingdom of darkness and also in the kingdom of light. There, there is no fence between the two. <laughs> there, there, it's you're one or the other. And in Colossians chapter 1, he says, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, for those of us who are putting our faith in him and who are following after him, that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Like, the transfer has happened. It's, it's already done. Our citizenship is not in hell, and our citizenship is not in America. Our citizenship is held in heaven, awaiting for us. And as citizens and representatives of heaven, how that, that affects how we live here while we're here sojourning in the land. Here's what I think is, is, is interesting. We've, we've prayed together regularly uh, the disciples' prayer. And I think it's interesting that our daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, comes before, lead us not into temptation. Give us this day our daily bread comes before, lead us not into temptation. Because here's what I know. If I'm hangry, I'm not going to be spiritually prepared. My, I am a, a whole person. What happens in my body affects what happens in my soul. And if my body is not taken care of, then my soul also struggles. They're not... <laughs> there are some senses in which the flesh and, and spirit are in conflict with another... But that's a sinful nature and a spiritual nature. But, but as, as whole persons, as beings created in the image of God, like what happens in our body affects what happens in our spirit. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for my needs, and I'll be spiritually receptive and be able to, to live out the gospel. I think sometimes we do damage when we, when we focus so much on the spiritual truths that we neglect the needs, the physical needs of our neighbors. We think we can give them good news without also providing for what they have. And, and here, Jesus has done that for this guy. He's cast out 
a demon that was making him mute. This barrier that was between him and everyone he loved. Like, what would it be like to, to be able to live in your family and not be able to ever say anything? How do you grow in relationships? How do you know that people love you and are express, or how do you express yourself if you can't talk? Like, there was this thing, and Jesus came and delivered it from him. And now he's saying there's more to the story. He, he, he tells when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person. Oh, that just happened. That just happened to me. Like, that happened to me. It passes through water in its places seeking rest. It goes off and wanders in the desert trying to find some place to go. And when it doesn't find anywhere, it says, I'll return to the house where I came from. And when it finds that everything's been cleaned up and tidied up and, and everything's gone well, it goes and gets seven other spirits that are more evil than themselves. You give me the next picture. <clears throat> it's party time. There's times where we come to Jesus and we're like, hey, I have this need. Can you help? And he says, yeah, I totally can. But your desire is to just kind of redecorate your life. Your desire is just kind of to make things look pretty, look good. But understand that if I take care of your needs and you kind of clean your life up a little bit, like you are more, you've made a really pleasant place for more oppression and more attacks. Behavior modification is insufficient. If we're coming to church and if we're coming to Jesus just so that we can live, like have different behaviors, and we don't ever let the truth of the gospel penetrate into our hearts, we don't ever let the Spirit of God reside in us, then we're wasting our time. I spent a long time in church being a good boy doing the things that were expected of me because that's what people thought was nice. But I wasn't transformed by Jesus. Behavior modification is insufficient. We can't just change what we're doing. We need a residential protector. What's... <laughs> What's the story that Jesus says before? If a strong man has all of his guns and somebody comes in, like then it's, and I came in and I robbed Satan, <clears throat> but am I in you? Have I, have I taken up residence within you? Am I protecting you? Like I can, I can kick him out, sure, but then if he doesn't find anywhere to go, he's going to come back and it's going to be party time. And party time for the demons is not party time for you. You need a residential protector. Jesus renovates where we only see a need to redecorate. Jesus renovates where we only see a need to redecorate. My garage ceiling, um, a couple, it's probably been a year and a half ago now, that one corner of it fell down. The drywall just came down. Our, our garage is an air conditioned. It's just a normal garage, but there's drywall in the ceiling, and, and, and that one corner fell down. And I was like, oh, well, it's kind of ugly, but I can live with it. <laughs> like, it's the garage. What difference does it make? Um, and then we started seeing some other places where the, uh, where the drywall was dipping. And it was like, all right, well, it looks real bad, so it's probably time, it's probably time to, to fix this. And so I was taking it off in chunks. I was taking the ceiling down in chunks, and I'd take this third and this third and this third, and I'd move over into another third. And before I even got to the halfway part of the garage, I pulled down like I had with every other piece, and it was just pulling off like two or three rafters at a time. 
um, I pulled off about not even, not even close to halfway, like more than halfway back, the whole ceiling fell at the same time. And I thought, oh, well, it's a good thing my kids are away for the week. <laughs> it's a good thing this didn't happen while Jesse was doing laundry. It's a good thing that there was nobody underneath this. Like, I'm, I'm trying to fix this because it's not pretty looking. But I didn't realize how dangerous it was. And where I see a need to redecorate, Jesus sees a need to renovate. I could just screw drywall back up to the ceiling, but what I've learned since then is that my, the reason it fell is because it was installed improperly. And that means I need to put more support in there. I need to run strapping the opposite way, and I need to run the drywall and, and perpendicular. Like, I've learned a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't know before about renovating a ceiling where I really just wanted to redecorate it. I just wanted it to look pretty. I was happy to screw plywood up and paint it, but Jesse wasn't cool with that. It needed to look pretty. It needed to be drywall. <clears throat> Jesus renovates, where we only see a need to redecorate because we're spiritually nearsighted. We only see things as they relate to us. So are we cleaned up? Is the house cleaned up and swept and set in order? Are we playing the church game, smiling through our masks or, you know, making sure that we check in on the live stream, making sure everybody knows we watched, just so that, because that's the right thing to do, everybody knows that's the good thing to do. Are we cleaned up or are we being renovated? Do we have that residential protector? Do we have the one who has the authority to completely remodel our heart? What does that look like? It, I do think it looks like weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. But it looks like victory in Jesus. It looks like conquering, and it looks like being real about the places that we failed. It's about exhorting one another and encouraging one another to do better and to go stronger and to, and to trust Jesus more and also to repent when we ourselves have not had victory. To say, that thing is a sin, and I'll turn away from it and walk the other direction now. If we're renovated, we can take the risk of being authentic with one another. Because Jesus has taken the risk to be authentic with us. It's bearing our cross. It's renouncing our comfort. It's true love for God and true love for one another. It's fruit, spiritual fruit, born from being connected to the true vine. Jesus renovates where we only see a need to redecorate. Then there's a random lady. She's watching all this. She's hearing all this. I don't know if she gets it. I, I don't know if she gets it. But she thinks she gets it. And she gets excited. She's, she's excited about what she's seeing. She's hearing Jesus talk to these guys, and Jesus is talking about demons, and he's overcoming demons, and, and maybe she gets a little bit of it or just enough, and she, and she 
as he said these things in, in Luke 11, chapter 27, Luke, Luke chapter 11, verse 27, and as he said these things, a woman in, her, in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. She's excited. Blessed is your mom. Your mom must be so proud of you, Jesus. Like, I can't believe the things that you're teaching. I can't believe that you have this, uh, this authority and this understanding and you're sharing it with us. Like, your mom must be super proud of you. Blessed is the womb that bore you, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's, this is a random exclamation. Can you imagine if like something you shouted out in the middle of a concert like got recorded in Holy Scripture forever? <laughs> there are some exclamations I don't want recorded. <laughs> And this is just a random exclamation in the middle of Jesus' sermon. Your mom must be so proud of you. And he says, look, it's not just about me and what I'm teaching. It's not just this authority. Like, I need you to understand that you, too, are invited to a privileged position in my family. It's not just that my mother bore me and that, that I've lived my life. It's not just that this community has walked with me and that I have these disciples. It's that you also have an invitation to be part of my family. Random, screaming lady in the crowd, you also can receive this grace. You can walk with us. Not just blessed is my mom, because she's cool and all, but blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And you're hearing. Like, if you, if you hear my voice, not that it's my voice, but if you're hearing the scriptures, you're hearing the word of God. And when you hear it, you become accountable for what you know. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so, in the midst of all of this, like, we've been talking about demons, which is not something that we talk about a ton. It's not something that we think about a ton. And I'm hesitant to, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to get into, there's, there's a, a mentality that now we understand that demons are actually mental illness. I don't think that's true, because if it was mental illness, I think Jesus would have called it mental illness. It was a demon because Jesus called it a demon, and he dealt with it. I don't know what that says about our current culture, but I, but my, <laughs> I do my best to understand our current culture, but my task is to try to bring to you the culture of the Word of God. And Jesus says, I'm dealing with a demon. It was a demon. There are personal evils, or there are personal evil spirits that oppress people in the world. And Jesus does battle against him. And so, there may be times that we've come across them. In other sections in Luke, it may be that we've come across them in church. Maybe that we've come across them in our job or on the street. I don't know. But Jesus is saying, I've overcome him. I'm the stronger man here. And you're either with me or you're not. You're either helping or you're scattering. I'm here to renovate where you really just want to redecorate. But the invitation is open to you. Blessed is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it. What does that look like? Uh, daily reflection. I have to, like, I listen 
to Scripture more than I end up reading a lot of times. Unless I'm studying for, for a sermon, I end up listening more. It's having a, a conversation with a group, talking with people about what it is that you're reading, trying to understand. And int- it's interesting how the Spirit of God works through the people of God when you're talking about the Word of God to reform you. Daily reflection group and, and group conversation. But for all the times that I've encouraged you to read your Bible, have you read your Bible? Are you reading your Bible now? I wonder if maybe I should... Um, make a transition to also be asking, are you keeping it? Blessed is the one who hears the word of God. And and if you're going to five Bible studies a week, like, great. But are you keeping what you're learning? Is it living itself out in your life? Are you reading your Bible? How would I know? Are you loving your enemies? Are you praying for those who persecute you? Is your life characterized by the forgiveness that Jesus taught us to pray as his disciples? James chapter 1, 19 through 27. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. I'm pretty good at hearing. It's the doing that I struggle with more. And I think it's because I try to do it. Rather than putting, <laughs> allowing Jesus to live it out through me. My focus, my primary focus, must be on connecting with Jesus. And if I'm connected with him, if I abide in him, then these things flow out. His word grows in me when I connect with him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your kindness in in speaking to us. We thank you for your compassion and your grace, your patience that you would explain to us things that we're not even really paying attention to. We don't really care that much. Lord, we're closer to danger than I think we ever imagine. But God, in you we have protection that is is greater, that surpasses any danger that we might be near. Lord, that doesn't excuse us from being wise doesn't excuse us from continuing to walk in your ways. But God, it comforts us to know that, lo, you are with us always until the end of the age. Help us this day to be aware of your presence, to be satisfied in you. And God, if we have not yet chosen to to begin this conversation, to begin this walk with you, to begin to trust you for our salvation and for our renovation. Lord, I pray that you would draw us close to you in these moments. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.